We're in uh, James 4, and we're looking at verses 13 to 16 today. So uh, just to give you a heads up, you can start finding that. And really the, the uh, letter that we have in James is, um, it says it's, he's, he's writing to the, to the disbursement, to the brothers and sisters in the disbursement, to those Christians who have been scattered by persecution around the known Roman world, um, into various cultural settings, uh, living in places with multiple gods, multiple religious practices, competing value systems, and um, trying to live out their Christian life, trying to work out what does it mean to be a Christian, a Christian in that context. Plus the fact you have, um, you have the, the original believers who were Jewish and the, the new believers who were Greek, trying to work out together, actually, how, how do we live this Christian life? And throughout James, we see really there are two systems at play. James is quite clear. There are two systems. There's the world with its, uh, its selfishness, it's destructive, it's abusive, it's materialistic. And then we have God's kingdom, which is uh, uh, a kingdom of love, the kingdom of active faith, uh, service, humility. And we see that running through James. Um, and, and, and we've seen that in this series um, through the different preaches. There's two ways to live, two ways to think. You can be a hearer or you can be a hearer and a doer. You can have dead faith or you can have living faith that where you're, what you believe is worked out in practice in the way you treat others. In chapter three, we saw that your tongue can be used to curse or it can be used to praise. We saw that um, you, can have, you can base your life on unspiritual, earthly wisdom or you can live by heavenly wisdom from God. You can be a friend of the world. You can invest in this world systems. or you can be submitted to God. You can trust God for provision and, you, and, uh, and, and live according uh, to his word um, and his revelation. So essentially, James is asking the, in, this, in this passage that we're going to look at now, James is asking the Christians to evaluate the way they are living. Six times in James, he asked them to consider, consider themselves, consider um, the way they're living, consider, are, are you deceiving yourselves? And in this passage today, um, chapter verses 13 to 16, James brings us to a key question. And that key question is, as we will see, what is your life? What is your life? Do you understand who you are? Do you understand what you are? And how is that identity shaping your life? How is it shaping your decisions? How is it shaping your choices, your ambitions, your expectations? See, James is concerned that his readers have really misunderstood who they are. They've understood what they are. They've they're missing the point of what it means to be a follower of Christ. And they're in danger of getting to the end of their life, looking back and realizing we were off track. All that time we were off track. And he doesn't want to let them do that. He's, he's, he's keen to, to challenge them, uh, to review their lives with them. Um, so as we listen to James speaking through this passage, uh, 2,000 odd years later, um, I'm trusting that the Holy Spirit's going to speak to us through him. Um, and bring some of that challenge to us as well. So James chapter four, verses 13 and 14 to start with. So, so from verse 13, James says this. Now listen, you who say today or tomorrow, we will go to the, this or that city, spend a year there, carry on business and make money. Why? You do not even know what will happen tomorrow. What is your life? You are a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. 
James's concern for some of these Christians, their faith seems to have no bearing on their day-to-day decisions. Becoming a Christian for them was like a historic event. It was like taking their exams or when they got married or when they went on holiday. It, it's almost like um, one of those souvenir fridge magnets, you know, that you get from the theme park. You can look, if you look on our fridge now, you'll see we've got various from different rides at different theme parks. Um, and for them, it was like their Christianity uh, was something that happened in the past. It's not impacting now their day-to-day life. But the early church referred to themselves as followers of the way, didn't they? Before they were called Christians, they, they called themselves followers of the way because Jesus said, I am the way. I am the way. I'm the, I am the way, the truth and the life. He, Jesus didn't say, I am a service station where you can stop off at some point on your journey to the big decisions in life. You know, on your, on your journey to marriage or buying a house or your journey to retirement. I'm one of the service stations you can stop off and, you know, you can have a good experience and get a burger. No, Jesus said, I am the way. Becoming a Christian is a lifelong journey with Jesus. Whether you live 100 years or whether you have just a few hours like the thief on the cross, a few hours with Jesus, becoming a Christian is the start of a lifelong journey with him. The promise of eternal life isn't sitting on a cloud, um, playing a harp, as we know. Jesus said um, in John chapter 17, now this is eternal life, that they know you the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. This is eternal life, knowing God and knowing Jesus. It's a lifelong journey. And James identifies three areas of thinking which expose this disconnection between these Christians and their so-called faith, their so-called belief in Jesus. Um, In this passage, we see three things. First is their view of time. Second is the way they make decisions. And the third is um, their view of their definition of success. So let's look at these three areas and see what James has to tell us. So their view of time, they say today or tomorrow, we're going to go to such a place and we're going to spend a year there. So they're assuming that they've got, in the words of Louis Armstrong, you know, they think that we've got all the time in the world and they're completely certain that they're going to wake up tomorrow. They're completely certain that they're going to be around next year. There's no sense of any fragility to their life. I know that many of us have lost people during this, um, these last few months. It's been very, very difficult, not just to lose people, but the way we've lost people and, um, and even being able, you know, being able to grieve. You can't do the normal things, the normal processes that we go through to grieve. It's been very, very difficult. And there's three people that uh, I know that, 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 that have passed away in recent months. One of them was very sick, but two of them, if you'd have told me last year they weren't going to be around, I, wouldn't, I would have been shocked. One was planning their wedding, um, and, and, and one lady was planning her retirement and a big cruise, and um, they're not with us anymore. We really need to have perspective, like David. You know, David said, In Psalm 139, it was clear. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. The Lord ordains our lives. Every day is a gift from him. We mustn't forget that. The second um, 
disconnect that James picks up on is the way that these Christians were making decisions. We're going to go to such and such a place. No reference to God's plan for their life, not necessarily uh, conscious, um, doing that in a conscious way. Um, But effectively, they're saying, why do I need God? Why do I need his help? I know what I'm doing. I'm clever. I'm in control of my life. Maybe they say, I'm a self-made man. I'm a self-made woman. They're not thinking about um, God or, or they, they don't believe they need anyone. There's a poem, isn't there, that, that um, seems to be becoming more and more popular at, to, be, to be read out you know, at um, graduations and leavers' dues and uh, quoted in people's leaving cards, um, Invictus by William Ernest Henley. You know, that famous two lines at the end that says, I am the master of my fate. I am the captain of my soul. But it's just not true. I'm not the master of my fate. I'm not the captain of my soul. I am totally reliant on God 24-7, 365 days a year. I am completely dependent on him for every breath that I breathe. Every time one of my 86 billion neurons fire at 50 times a second and I can, I can formulate a thought in my mind, I'm dependent on him. Every time I stand up I'm, I'm, and my molecules stay together, I'm, I'm dependent on him sustaining me by the power of his word. If I make it home to my family at the end of the day, if I make it to the end of this talk, that is by his grace. It's by his grace to me. I am completely dependent on God's goodness and his grace in my life. I'm not the captain of my, of my soul. You know, before, um, before the, the, this uh, uh, corona pandemic, it seemed that there was already a pandemic of anxiety and stress in our, in our society, um, in work and, and just around about people very anxious and very stressed. And, and that's, just, that's been exaggerated, magnified now by this, by this crisis. Um, a recent survey um, that I read actually said that um, amongst young people, it's particularly bad. The, the uncertainty of, of the future, um, you know, the, the um, changes in the, way, in, in the way that we communicate and interact, they're pioneers really of this um, social media um, generation. Um, and also they've been told, you know, you can do anything, you can be anything. And then they graduate and find they can't get a job. And, they, and uh, the survey said, you know, that 14% of, of millennials um, experienced uh, life-affecting anxi- anxiety and 17% um, had experienced depression. Because things don't always go to plan and we can't control the uncontrollable. But peace comes from knowing that God is in control. Peace comes from knowing that he knows what he's doing that he's working things together uh, for your good. The third um, thing that James confronts here um, in the church um, is in, in these Christians is their view of success. They say, we're going to trade and we're going to make money. 
We are going to make money. That's their end goal. Their end goal is money. Um, it might have been better if I said, we're going to make money and give it to the poor or we're going to make money and, and um, uh, sponsor church plants. But no, they just, we're going to go and we're going to make money. That's their end goal. They're completely invested in the world systems of getting, scrapping, you know, dog eat dog, get to the top, possessing, having stuff. Um, but is their criteria the same as God's criteria? How do you define success in your life? What is a fruitful life? How do you define a fruitful life? Because the Holy Spirit has a definition of a fruitful life. And it says this, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, the fruits of the Spirit. That's a fruitful life in God's eyes. Was Jesus a success by worldly standards? 120 uh, followers left uh, after his ascension, hiding in an upper room. Is that a success? Waiting to be arrested, waiting for the police to come. There's a, um, uh, a missionary, a Welsh missionary, who um, went to China, but his real goal was to get to Korea uh, in, the, in the late 1800s. He wanted to take the gospel to Korea, and Korea was um, well known for being incredibly uh, intolerant of outsiders, aggressively so. Um, they, 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 they didn't like outside religion. They didn't like um, uh, foreign, foreign, foreigners. So um, he, was, he wanted to try and get to Korea and take Bibles into Korea. He'd learned some of the language. He translated. Uh, the Bible into, in, in, into Korean. He jumped on a, an, a, an American ship that was taking a trade delegation um, up the Taidong River. I don't know if I said that right. And they reached uh, Pyongyang, which now the, in North Korea, in 1866. And um, there was, there was uh, a bit of kerfuffle. They weren't, they weren't warmly um, received. And Robert Germain Thomas uh, was taken prisoner and he was executed. But just before he was executed, he gave his own last Bible to his executioner. And what happened was the Bibles that um, the, 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 the people on the expedition were killed by the Koreans. And what happened was they gave out the Bibles um, uh, to use as wallpaper. Paper was a commodity then. And, and people started to use these pages of the Bible to wallpaper their houses. And this guy who had received this Bible from the guy he had executed did the same. And over time, they began to read the words that they put up on their walls and started to get changed and impacted um, by the stories that they read in, in, this, in, in this Bible that plastered their homes. And people started to become Christians. And the, and the guy who executed um, Robert Germain Thomas became a Christian and actually started to lead a house church in his house. And when following, uh, when missionaries arrived later on, they found there were already Christians there. There were already churches there in Korea. And now Korea, um, as you probably know, is um, South Korea is um, Christianity is the biggest religion in South Korea now. Um, and, and many Christians in Korea trace uh, that the church today in South Korea back to uh, 
um, Robert, Jermaine Thomas, and his and his and his um, sacrifice. Now, when he had his head chopped off, not really a success. Probably you wouldn't have. You know, maybe he felt he failed, but God used that uh, to to birth a movement. Um, and there was a massive revival in Pyongyang, um, now the capital of North Korea. Um, and we pray, obviously, that we'll see that again in North Korea, that God will move in the underground, uh, through the underground church there. But we mustn't judge. Um, we mustn't judge by our own um, measures of success. Um, and that can, that can, that can, uh, that can uh, get into the church sometimes. Sometimes if we look at people and say, and we expect that actually um, self-improvement is a mark of, of God's favor or God's blessing. Oh, why is that not person? been promoted at work why are they still doing the job they did you know 15 years ago or um actually we, we mustn't judge others by um our cultural marks of success um we don't know where people have started from we don't know what the call is on their life whether they're a ceo of a company or a cleaner um the the the, the marks of fruitfulness we know Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. So what is James not saying? What is James not saying? Is James saying it's wrong to plan? No, of course not. It's not wrong to plan. It's not wrong to want to do well. It's not wrong to want to succeed. It's not even wrong to want money, uh, to make money. But it is wrong to plan without considering what God has for you. And it's foolish. It's wrong to live assuming that you are independent of God's grace. We see in the Apostle Paul planned. He was keen. He wanted to get to Spain. He said, I'm going to come to Rome. Then I want to take the gospel to Spain. Because at that point, Spain was an unreached, the Spanish were an unreached people group. Um, and on the way, he spent time making tents, working. He spent time teaching and preaching in churches. He spent time as a prisoner. But all of that was part of his um, journey his ambition to get to Spain but along the way the Holy Spirit interrupted his plans interrupted his journey redirected him we see in Acts 16 he, he wanted to get into to Asia the, the region not the continent and um, and the Lord prevented him from going into Bithynia and instead he had a dream that that took him to Macedonia so it's good to have plans but we mustn't get angry when God interrupts our plans or um, seemingly our plans change. There was a guy in the Bible called Balaam, and he was, he wanted, he was going on his way to um, curse the Israelites, and God wasn't very happy about that. So he sent an angel to block his path. And the donkey that Balaam was on could see the angel, but Balaam couldn't. And the donkey kept trying to turn around because he, because he didn't want to approach the angel and crushed Balaam's leg. So let, Balaam got off and started to beat the donkey. Um, and then Balaam's eyes were opened and he saw that actually the donkey was trying to save him from certain death from this angel that was, that was standing before him um, to kill him and the danger is for us as well that if we, if we assume that this, this inconvenience or um, there's, there's something that's gone wrong is, is that's stopping us from getting to our destination um, if we focus on that we can get cross with the wrong thing you can start to beat the donkey. But we don't know what God is doing. Um, in March, 
I, I was supposed to go to Uganda. I got as far as Kenya. And the day, the day before I was due to cross over, fly over into Uganda, there was a, um, a message saying um, basically travel restrictions. I couldn't travel. Uh, because of the coronavirus, and I had to fly home. Maybe God was protecting me from some untold tragedy in Uganda, or maybe he wasn't. Maybe it was just a coincidence of what he's doing in the nations at this time. But the danger is for me to get angry with the wrong thing and to kick the donkey, to take it out on other people I'm traveling with, or to take it out on the airline staff, or to throw my laptop across the room, whatever it is. No. Trust God. That when he interrupts my plans, he knows what he's doing um, and, and that he's protecting me, guiding me. And I, I have to be attuned to the Holy Spirit to see where he's re- redirecting me. So James wants to give them a reality check. He says in verse 14, why uh, you do not even know what will happen tomorrow. What is your life? You are a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. You want to plan for the year ahead? You don't even know what's going to happen tomorrow. You're a mist, you're a vapor, you're water particles hanging in the air. You're temporary. If it's windy, you're gone. If the sun comes up and and heats up the ground, you're gone. You've got no lasting substance. Everything tangible about you will one day be gone. Your physical body, your car, your house, your bank account, your golf clubs, your iPads, everything, your Manchester United shirt, everyone you know, it will one, be, one day be gone. There's no substance to it. And Jesus, you know, Jesus wasn't registered with the, F, with the Financial Conduct Authority, but he does give us very good investment advice. He says, do not store up for yourself treasures on earth where moths and vermin destroy, and where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where moths and vermin do not destroy, and where thieves do not break in and steal. Where your treasure is, there your heart will also be. Matthew 6, uh, verses 19 to 21. Invest your time, your money, your energy, your emotions, your life into a kingdom that lasts. Famous film, Gladiator. Uh, um, uh, uh, Maximus Decimus Meridius, the gladiator. Um, he, uh, his famous saying in that film, he tells his men, what we do today echoes in, a, in eternity. Um, and he's almost right. But actually, he's not quite right. Because what we do today has the potential to sing out the praises of God and the glory of Jesus for eternity if we invest wisely. What we do today will bring him glory for I just want us to skip now to verse 16, because in verse 16, basically, James gets the heart to the heart of the issue. Um, And in verse 16, he says, as it is, you boast in your arrogant schemes. All such boasting is evil. If anyone knows the good they ought to do and doesn't do it, it is a sin for them. So he's saying this disregard for God is arrogant, it's boasting, and that is evil, which seems a bit harsh, James. Maybe it's thoughtless. Maybe, maybe the Christians are being thoughtless. Maybe they're being ungrateful. But are they really being evil? Evil? 
by living in a way that that kind of disconnects their faith from their planning and their and their expectations and their ambitions. But James is clear, it's evil. When we want to play God over our own lives, it's evil. When we want to reign in his place, it's the root of the sin, you know, that we see in the Garden of Eden, that first temptation, the devil tells them, you can be like God. You can be like God. It's dangerous to play God because we're not qualified for the job. My boys have a game called Euro Truck where basically you can drive a simulated, articulated lorry around Europe. Um, you can make up your own minds about, um, about how exciting that sounds. But if you gave a child control of a real articulated lorry, it would be very, very dangerous. It's okay to, to drive a simulator, you know, through Brussels, through, um, through Belgium, through Germany, through France. But give a child control of a real articulated, articulated lorry and they wouldn't make it very far down the road because they're not qualified. It's dangerous. I'm not qualified to be God of my life. I'm not immortal. I'm not all powerful. I can't control everything and I'm not all knowing. I don't know uh, wh wh where my decisions will lead. Only God has complete assurance that his plans will succeed. Only he, he can define success. The disciples ran away from the cross. Yeah. When Jesus was crucified, they ran away because in their eyes, it was abject failure. But the cross was the single most successful moment in all of human history. The cross, when Jesus died for our sins, when he completely defeated the enemy, the devil, and won for us our freedom and our reconciliation with God the Father, the single most successful event in all of history. The disciples ran away because they thought it's over. It's dangerous to play God. We don't. We misunderstand what's God's what 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 um, situations. It's stressful. It's short short sighted. Potentially devastating if we get to the end of our lives, look back and realize we've missed it all. We've missed the mark. And more than that, the Bible tells us that let the one who boasts boast in the Lord. If we're going to boast. We have to boast in the Lord. 1 Corinthians 1.31. When we boast in our own arrogance, we take credit for what he has done. And we don't want to be those who steal God's praises. Because all of the praise, all of the glory, all of the honor, all of the power belong to Jesus. So this brings us to the remedy. What does James tell us? What's the remedy for this danger, for this way of living that, that, that's dangerous, that disconnects um, our day-to-day -day life with our, our, our faith, our, our, our walk with Jesus? And we have to go back to verse 15 for that. Verse 15, he says, instead, instead, you ought to say, if it is the Lord's will, we will live and do this or that. So that the answer is to say, if it is the Lord's will, not, not a mantra, that would be exhausting. It would be exhausting if every time, you know, I'm going to have cornflakes this morning for breakfast, if it is the Lord's will. <laughs> I'm going to go to work today, if it is the Lord's will. No, it's not. It's not. It's not a mantra. It's not a mantra. Uh, and it's not fatalistic. You know, it's not, oh, I'll see you next week uh, on the Zoom or if it is the Lord's will. You know, it's not fatalistic. 
No, it's an attitude that is woven through our daily lives. It's a deliberate daily question to say, what are you doing in this situation, Lord? Where are you leading me uh, today, Lord? Where are you leading me in my life, Lord? What plans uh, do you have for me? And do my plans fit with those, Jesus? Um, you know, Holy Spirit, what have you said to me um, over the years? What resources have you given me today? And how do you want me to use them? Where should I invest my time, my talents, my money? In order that I'm living a life that's thankful, that's that's that that's giving thanks now, but also is going to bring you glory forever, Jesus. That's it's 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 uh, it's an attitude of life woven through daily life, a deliberate daily question. Instead, we ought to say, if it is the Lord's will, we will do this or that. Um, I just want to pray for us. Um, I want to pray that um, the, Lord, the Holy Spirit helps us because you can only really have that mindset. Um, are you, it's so easy to forget, isn't it? I mean, at points in the day, you're at work, you're busy, rushing around, uh, maybe taking the kids here or there, or you've got an appointment to go to or another Zoom meeting um, to, to click into. And it's easy to kind of, you kind of to just to kind of almost forget get God's involvement in your day and to suddenly stop and think, oh, yeah, it's been so many hours and um, I haven't, haven't thought about Jesus. I haven't thought about the Holy Spirit. I haven't asked the Holy Spirit for his opinion. So we all need that. You might be a businessman or a businesswoman. You might not be planning to go away to London to set up a, you know, develop an app and make money. But this attitude we all need this, don't we? We all need the Holy Spirit to help us to weave this attitude into our daily life. So I just want to pray for us and then hand back to Simon. Holy Spirit, I just ask that you would reveal to us again who we are, what we are. Um, Lord, that we would be uh, realistic about, um, um, about our lives, about um, the fragility of our lives and we would be aware of that, but also, Lord, that we would know who we are in Christ, what we have in you, Lord Jesus, what you have invested into us through your death and your resurrection. Lord, I thank you for everything that you continue to give us every second of the day. And I ask for greater revelation, Lord, of your will for each of us. Lord, I need more revelation, Lord, of your will for my life. Lord, today. Uh, and for the years to come, empower us, Lord, to live lives that invest, Lord, in your kingdom, your everlasting kingdom. Lord, please, Lord God, don't let us be those that get to the end of our lives and look back and look at the stuff we've accumulated and wonder whether we've missed something, whether we've missed something that you had for us. Lord, please, Holy Spirit, we want to live lives, Lord, that... Um, Lord, we don't know how, we don't know why, Lord, but you've ordained it. We want to live lives, Lord God, that reverberate, Lord God, with a song of glory and honour, Lord, that gives you praise, that gives you glory for all eternity. Lord Jesus. Amen.